0: Hello, and welcome to season two, episode one of the Scene from Above podcast. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we are your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening in and around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us on Twitter using the hashtag Scene from Above and can access the podcast via our websites on iTunes, on Blueberry, and in a whole host of other ways. So, Andrew, I think it's great to be back for our
1: second season. Yeah, it is great to be back. and. Um... Yeah, season two. Who knew?
0: It's indeed, and people are talking about us. I've been out and about as, as you may have seen on Twitter, and um, yeah, I am heartened and surprised by the number of people who've come up to me and either <laughs> said that they have heard "Seen from Above" and they've liked it, or slightly more bizarrely, have apologised for not listening to it.
1: All right. Okay, let's do some news. When did we last talk? Uh,
0: End of March, I think. End of March.
1: So today, the 18th of May, 2018. I think the biggest thing that I've seen happening in the last two months is a little bit based around one of the topics that we talked about, which was open data. And there came this article in the middle of April about the US government considering charging for access to Landsat data. Oh, yes, I saw that, yeah. And that's sparked a series of blog posts and twitter comments and all this stuff and you know the general feeling as you can probably imagine is generally negative towards this and the article itself says you know the estimated revenue is is two billion and, and we've discussed before that's so probably even an underestimate from from what it may be but it got me wondering if that did happen if they did turn it off are we just encouraging people today to to download to sort of hoard data or? Conversely, on the other end, if you do have to start buying Landsat and you want to do a sort of temple series, are you just going to get the minimum number of scenes that you need? Is that, is that good science? I'm not so
0: sure. Really, it would be a huge missed opportunity if they do start charging for these data again.
1: I mean, it would be a, a boon for. The Sentinel data set, wouldn't it? You would, you would think that that would drive more people to Copernicus.
0: Yeah, I think if you're interested in, in real time um, or or short time series of, of high-resolution data, then, yeah, I, th- I can see that Copernicus would, would benefit. Yeah, but isn't the point here that
1: companies like Amazon and Google have already got the Lancet archive? I think the archive is probably safe, it feels like it might be safe yeah but the new stuff the new data acquired from the landsat eight and nine and ten as it as it comes on maybe that's that's what they're looking at i mean do they ask google and amazon to stop serving this up or i i don't know i mean one of the other
0: options i suppose could be that one of these huge companies like google or amazon could actually do something and purchase those data and then make them openly available and yeah. do it that way
1: So it's 10 years since the open data policy started, because we know, remembering that USGS started this all, nearly 100,000 papers have been published with the word Landsat in.
0: That's brilliant.
1: It seems to me that it would be complex to suddenly put a cost barrier in, and it would be probably costly on their side to introduce that system as well.
0: One of the things that strikes me is that this is basically down to the political whims of a single administration. And... It could be that another administration in the future changes that back to open data and then it gets changed again. And I think the worst thing that could happen is actually that there is this uncertainty that different administrations keep charging, not charging, charging, not charging. And I think that would cause much larger pr- problem than just having a dedicated policy. And I think at the moment, the open policy is the right policy to have.
1: Yeah, well, that's a bit of a sad note, isn't it, to start with? <laughs> well, I thought I would... Um... To update on the number of satellites launched, as I like to keep track of these things, according to spacetrack.org. Okay. 2017, 379 payloads, they call them payloads, were launched into orbit. So far, 2018, we've had 127. So it feels that they're slightly behind if we're to match or break that record okay one of the latest things to go up was Galfan 5. i think it's hyperspectral chinese satellites there's still plenty of things being launched and of course in the time that we've been offline sentinel 3b has gone up Woo-hoo. and uh, it's already delivering some data i think so i think that was an incredibly successful launch
0: yeah and neither of us managed to get to the party did we
1: no where well, was it in darmstadt i think yeah i think so but uh, the, the the stuff that was coming back from it was looked brilliant
0: okay i've got something that i spotted in the news and i'm going to start off with something that isn't remote sensing so sorry about that but I think it's something that the majority of people who are dealing with geospatial and environmental data probably know and use. I know you use it, and it's Jupiter, so um, Project Jupiter of Jupiter Notebooks. Yeah, so the 15 members of the Steering Council of Project Jupiter have been awarded the 2017 ACM Software System Award. It's an incredible achievement, I think, because there's a list of other projects that have have won this award, uh, and they include Unix.
1: Wow, this is some award then, yeah.
0: Yeah, S, which was ours predecessor, the web in general, which is pretty impressive, and Mosaic, which was a web browser back in the early days of the internets.
1: Oh, yes. Yep.
0: and quite a few others so i think this is absolutely stunning and it just goes to show how important jupyter notebooks are really you can support a whole host of different scientific projects that yep. you might use uh, through numfocus so it's numfocus.org
1: yeah it's interesting isn't it uh, i mean i i use jupyter notebooks quite a lot now i've i've started using conda a bit more and the reason i mentioned this is because i was pleased to see that within the default installation of Conda was Jupyter Notebooks. I didn't have to install it. It just came. So let's do a couple more bits of news, shall we? Sentinel-5. Sentinel-5P, in fact. Any idea when we're going to get hold of this data? I've been looking around for some information about it. It's been up since October. I think it was in our first podcast, actually. We talked about Sentinel-5, and it was a volcano that we were looking at. Yes, yeah. And uh, the BBC, uh, Jonathan Amos again, uh, we should get him on the podcast. I think Jonathan Amos would be perfect. That'd be good. Um, the BBC had, had this article on the shipping lane in the Mediterranean using Sentinel Five P, and it's showing the shipping routes and the emissions. Showing they call it a suite of gases, including nitrogen nitrogen ox- dioxide, nitrogen dioxide, and it's a really stunning image. And they were saying that you, you know this is clear that the the data from Five P is going to be transformative because previously you'd need huge amounts of data to sort of get to this level of, of detail the move is towards even finer grained smaller pixels in the future so these are really nice things and, and you know when this data becomes available i've got a few areas that i'm really quite keen to look at
0: yeah once the data comes out it'd be really interesting to to get some and have a play around
1: yeah i mean it's it's the one that that often people talk about you know i've heard about this sort of atmospheric monitoring and pollutants. So I think it's really got a great coverage.
0: Okay, I'm going to carry on with the Sentinel theme. There's a website, s2maps.eu, and it's basically cloud-free composites of Sentinel data and it's a big, slippy web map, and you can zoom around and see cloud free imagery of your Sentinel-2 data. It is absolutely stunning imagery. If you know someone who doesn't really get what, what it is you do with satellites and all of that sort of thing, just send them to this website. And it's, uh, it's absolutely beautiful, it really is. Any idea how they
1: created the cloud free mosaic? Best pixel, medium pixel? Just wondering if there's any blurring, especially around develop develop areas but it doesn't seem to be pretty nice composite also I was going to ask do you know if there's any
0: um, any other bands available I haven't seen anything on the site so I haven't looked around it a lot um but this is this comes out of the EOX team okay they crunched about 250 terabytes of Sentinel 2 data in order to generate this using software that they'd developed and other open source tools
1: oh, that's interesting
0: so anyway this is, I just thought this is something worth highlighting because it, it's a really visually stunning way of communicating the power of what Sentinel is is able to do.
1: Anything else on news?
0: Yeah, two more very quick things. One is, if you haven't seen it, Petarelli et al. have put out a book chapter, I think, certainly an academic article, called Conservation Technology Series Issue 4, Satellite Remote Sensing for Conservation. It's really interesting. It's a, a great overview of how satellite data is being used in the conservation area. And it sort of links in with another article that came out at the beginning of uh, April that was in Nature and that's called Ecology's Remote Sensing Revolution. So I think ecology and conservation really are beginning to get the power of remote sensing and and these time series of imagery and the the fact that we're now being able to get easier access and easier ways to process these data so that they're useful to the, the person either in the office or in the field. And then the final thing I wanted to say was that geobusiness is next week which is a big conference in the uk but it's a big european and global conference i think these days yeah generally in the past there's been a lot of focus on surveying and things like that but they do have a um earth observation seminar session i think it's great that they are getting earth observation
1: into that in a, a much more coherent way cool can i ask you a quick question about this article then yeah where do you think the best place is to get the latest information or if you wanted to stay abreast of, of the new things that are happening
0: um i personally would go for uh, academic papers if i wanted to understand a methodology and then if i wanted to know the technical steps of getting through something in order to implement that ma- methodology i would tend to look for for blog posts Okay, cool let's talk about our topic i don't think geostationary earth observation satellites get enough airtime. you know they're basically the workhorses behind the um, data that goes into global circulation models and that sort of thing so i want to talk about geostationary
1: eo satellites please <laughs> why not why not indeed i mean generally i, I, I associate these with metrological kind of you know weather
0: yeah so I suppose I think that they get overshadowed a bit by their lower Thorbit orbit cousins because people can relate a lot more to high spatial resolution imagery that's in you know, nice colours and um, they can zoom into their house and, and what have you. But my way into remote sensing way back when was through the original MeteorSat yeah. data. And just also it was understanding... A little, my my first sort of forays into understanding a little bit about orbits and the fact that if you go and sit, I don't know, thirty five thousand, forty thousand kilometers out, you would be traveling at the same speed that the Earth rotates, and therefore you stay over the same point all the time. And I, that, just as a concept, that really stuck in my head, and I thought that's a very cool thing. You know, thirty-five, forty thousand 40,000 kilometers away is a pretty decent distance to try and get your satellite out to in the first place. Yeah. So I just wanted to sort of take a bit of time to go through which of the different satellites are up there that we're going to talk about that we might be interested in.
1: I'm looking at the, I don't know how to pronounce it, is it GOES? Yes, yeah. pronounce it GOES, okay. I've got a page where you can watch in, uh, in a loop, a two-hour loop, twenty-four images with a five-minute update. I'm just looking at the um, true color daytime multispectral. Okay. I mean, it's, it's lovely to see daylight happen, but also the the movement of the clouds. It's yeah, slightly mesmerizing, isn't it? And. You know, like you said, just now and also at the start saying, you know, first glimpse at um, Earth observation was through satellites telling us something about the, the, the condition of the climate. It's interesting, isn't it? Because now uh, Google Earth perhaps has, has slightly changed that. But quite often we interact with these satellites on a daily basis without perhaps even knowing that we've interacted with them. I mean, we often yeah. consume the weather on the news or... On the radio or in the newspapers or whatever but it, it's so important isn't it for broadcasting and monitoring and, and shipping and all, and all these kind of applications That you're right i think we probably do forget about it compared to the the amazing new age coming out of silicon valley with its temporal satellites and lower orbit orbits and, and all this kind of stuff but yeah this this GOES satellite um they launched one this year didn't they that, that i think it starts as goes r and then becomes goes might be seventeen. Not, not entirely sure on that. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And and there are more up there than
0: you might think as well. So there's Meteosat, which is sort of European Space Agency's uh, weather satellite. I just like the fact it sits over zero zero, so it sits over the equator yep. at zero degrees longitude, and it just looks at the whole half of the Earth that you would see if you were sat there as well. And then um, we have a couple over America. So we've we've got goes east. Uh, which is over the uh, eastern seaboard, and then goes west, which is, no surprise, over the western seaboard. And then we have the Himawari satellites that sit over Japan. Uh, And next to them, we've got um, GeocompSat, which is South Korean. And then there's another one over India. So you've got INSAT. I also like the fact that a lot of these data sets are comparable and therefore they can all be joined together and put into these general circulation models that people like the Met Office uh, and other meteorological agencies around the world can use to then try and predict what's happening. I heard a, a really interesting uh, anecdote yesterday. Yep. The beast from the east, so the the cold snap that affected the UK, so it was actually caused not by something that was happening... Uh, sort of over Eastern Europe and Russia, like many people would have thought, given yeah. where the air mass was coming from. But it was caused by severe heating somewhere out in the middle of the Pacific that caused an instability in the atmosphere that then went up into the upper atmosphere, disrupted the, um, the air flows and the jet stream up in the upper atmosphere, that then caused all of the instability over Europe. And that caused the the cold snap in the UK, which really can only come about from having the models to try and look at that but also having the satellites in place to monitor constantly the the fluxes that are happening on the earth's surface and in the atmosphere to be able to then almost take an individual event and and work backwards to find out what the cause of that was yeah i thought that was a brilliant example of how useful these geostationary satellites are
1: it's so important isn't it for for future modeling and you know i think Places like um, the Met Office in the UK have some of the biggest computers in the world. Their models are extensive, probably doesn't do do it justice. I saw the, I think it was UMITSAT, did a 2017-a-year-of-weather. And you can, you can see throughout the, the entirety of 2017, all of the weather systems that have taken place on, on a global scale. And you can track the hurricanes across the Atlantic as they form and as they hit the US. And obviously the hurricane season in the US... Uh, 2017 sort of august september time was one of the was one of the worst on record and you you really get a sense of how these things sort of line up it's almost an the queue and sort of you know a continual barrage of hurricanes yeah i think having the ability to have that overview
0: rather than looking at each one in in turn but have that overview to see that there's a whole raft of them forming and and you know some of them will form and dissipate before they come anywhere near landfall
1: yeah i think it's it's incredibly useful to have that. But it's only with geostationary satellites that we could do that, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. we wouldn't be able to do it any other way. So, I mean, it, I hadn't really thought about it until you said it earlier about how they're sort of comparable and you can stitch them together. But obviously, that's, that's how this was done. So that's brilliant.
0: And I, I think it's worth highlighting as well that when we say it's continuous monitoring, I mean, we're so used to talking about low-Earth orbit satellites where we might have, I don't know, a return time of... A couple of days or yeah you know, I suppose it's every day if, if we're talking about planet but certainly the majority of satellites are, have a sort of probably a, a five to 20 day return something like that well because these satellites aren't moving relative to what they're trying to, to look at they can basically image by just scanning the earth once and then going straight back and doing it again and so Images are collected every 15 minutes from something like um, the MeteorSat second generation spacecraft that are up there at the moment. Uh, I think it was 30 minutes back when I was looking at these data sort of 20 years ago on, on the first generation uh, satellites. But even so, being able to, to understand that you can get data at that sort of scale of, of time period, it is incredibly useful. And and every fifteen minutes, I mean, the animations you can make with that are, are just stunning, as as you've found out.
1: Um, Sentinel four is that going to be a geostationary? I think it is, isn't it? I don't really know much about Sentinel four. It generally, the reason I thought of that was I a don't see many many presentations at conferences or events based on geostationary satellites. Yep. And b I wonder if that's because people think it's done.
0: Yeah. So I I would say that I think there's a lot of people who would probably be shouting at the podcast saying it's not done. Yeah. (laughs) But I I can see where you're coming from. And certainly 15 years ago, I saw a lot more presentations and posters at conferences about geostationary satellites and how they're, they're used and how they can be processed at Maybe it's a consequence of there's so much information around at the moment, as we keep saying on, on this podcast and, and, you know, in the sector more generally, people are saying there's a lot of data, people can't keep up with everything. And plus, also, if you can start to use other data to do things that maybe, you know, years ago, we were only using uh, geostationary satellites for, I think it's a, a tricky one. I mean, neither of us are really into the meteorological side of remote sensing, so I, we we can't have a, an inf- a particularly informed viewpoint on on how successful uh, geostationary satellites are at the moment but we just you know we know in the the wider context that yeah are. yeah yeah. but yeah it's
1: uh, it's an interesting question definitely these are all ifs but if sentinel 4 is geostationary and if it is going to monitor uh, air quality and it is going to have an impact on every european citizen um and potentially if we can get a uh reading every x number of minutes hours whatever it may be then maybe that would seriously influence um the way we we run our lives and maybe influence government policy that's one of the things i love about satellites the unbiased nature of it you can't fake it or you can but it's pretty, <laughs> pretty hard to it's <laughs> it out pretty it's harder to fake it than it is to to use the real data is ultimately what i'm going to say you, you know
0: and really i mean I don't think either of us have a lot more to say about geostationary satellites other than don't forget they're out there. I mean, that has been the main, for me, that was the main driver of trying to raise them in the first place was just because we run the risk of always talking about the, the low Earth orbit stuff. But certainly there are websites where you can go out and, and get these data for free and either the, the full half disk or certain segments of the half disk, if you want to zoom in. And we're talking about spatial resolutions that are in the order of kilometers usually. Really, I would encourage people to have a look at the data.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, as I said, I mean, I've just been watching the you has been talking and yeah, mesmerizing things. Yeah. Yeah, sort of transfixing. And you just don't get that with the, the data that I generally work with. Yeah. But I, I, I think it's been a bit of an education for me in a way. I mean, I, as you, as you say, not something I generally look at. And it's nice to, to have a digression into these things.
0: One thing I would say is if there's anyone listening to the podcast who deals with these data sets sort of on a daily basis, and we've made a bit of a mess up on, on anything, or we've got some, some facts wrong, please get in touch on Twitter using the hashtag scene from above. And, and let us know it's like we said we're not sort of specialists in this area but we're very very keen to to learn more about it and to communicate that out to others as well If you have any requests for new segments or topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear, then drop us a line uh, again through Twitter. That's either at Map Andrew or at AJG Jogger, and use hashtag Scene From Above, and we'll pick that up. That would be great. That's been a really great podcast. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And until next time, you can reach us at hashtag Scene From Above on Twitter, and you can search for Scene From Above on iTunes. Please leave a review on iTunes. Thank you, Andrew.
1: Thank you, Astra. And goodbye, everyone. Cheers. Yeah, I just for it. I actually made more than Alistair. You wouldn't believe it, but. To go alone, the life is growing walk
0: walking past you. If I could ask. You-